0: Well, good morning. I want to welcome those of you who are here, those who are watching online, those who will be watching by TV, those at our other campus. We're really glad that you came to be a part of what God is doing here today. Uh, I don't have to tell you this probably, we probably know this just feeling it, but according to a Gallup poll, by a large margin, the most unpopular month of the year for Americans is January. It's their least favorite month of the year. Now, let me tell you something else. I don't know why this is true, but psychologists now tell us that the most depressing day of the year is the 24th of January. And if it's on a Monday, it doubles the depression. Now, again, I don't know why that is, but we're just a few days from the 24th of January. So this is why we need to refuel and recharge and re-energize and re-engage. So we decided to begin this year by doing a series that we're calling Refuel, to help you get your tank full again, because again, we all kind of suffer those post-Christmas, post-holiday, post-December blues, and so we decided <coughs> we would try to help everyone, and I need the help as well, to really get started on a new year and teach you how to fill your tank every single day, and last week, if you were here or in case you missed, we shared last week that... The number one thing you need to do and one of the best ways to recharge your battery is to get hooked up into the ultimate battery charger, which is God's Word. And that's what we talked about last week, the importance of daily reading your Word. And by the way, let me tell you something that really encouraged me. We're, we're, so what we did, we gave you a plan to read the New Testament through this year. I, I, there was a couple that was visiting here from Jacksonville, Florida last week. Just happened to be visiting with us. He texted me this week and said, I've never read the New Testament through. I want you to be my accountability partner and I'm gonna read the New Testament through for the very first time. I talked to one of our our most faithful people here. And in fact, he was telling me just a while ago, he said, you know what? He said, if if people say they don't have time to do this plan, they don't know what they're talking about because it's so easy. You just read just a few verses a day. He's never read the New Testament through. So I wanna encourage you, if you missed last week, it's easy to catch up. We're reading the New Testament through this year as a church body together. And if you've never read the New Testament, I would encourage you to do it. You may say, I don't even believe the Bible, then even more the reason it's a great book, there's a lot of fantastic stories in there, you'll enjoy it, and I really believe it could radically change your life. But we said last week, the best way to refuel is on a daily basis, get into God's word. Now what we're gonna do today, we're gonna take it up a notch, okay? Because I'm determined to make sure when this month is over, that many of you are gonna join me and say, you know what? I want my tank full every single day. And so we're gonna take it up a notch and we're gonna show you how to keep your spiritual tank full because it's one thing to fill it. It's another thing to keep it full. You know how this works with, it, you know, with your car. You can fill up your gas tank on Monday, but by Friday probably or sometime during the week, it needs to be refilled again. Well, the way that you keep your spiritual tank full is worship. Let's say that together. Say the word with me, worship. Now, let me tell you what I brought with me today. I love props, okay? This is a thermometer. This is one of the neatest little technological gadgets Teresa and I have ever bought. We now have grandchildren, right? And, and, you know, children are different from grandchildren in a lot of ways, and they just are. If you're a grandparent, you can appreciate this. So, you know, in the old days, if your child was running a fever, you had these old-timey, you know, thermometers, and and, and, and to be honest, sometimes you'd have to stick that thermometer where you really wouldn't want to stick it, okay? Well, I didn't mind doing that with my kids, but grandkids are different because they're special. So, we bought this little thermometer. It's the most amazing thing. It actually works now. I just turned it on, okay? There's a light that comes on. The light goes off, and then I can stick that to my head. Turn the light on, and it tells me my temperature is ninety eight point six. All you got to do is stick it to your head. You don't have to. You don't have to put it on, on any part of your body whatsoever. It never touches the body. You just stick it close to your forehead, just like that, and it will tell you what your temperature is. Now, the reason why I brought that was it. it, it we we had uh, had to use this on one of our grandchildren over Christmas, and I got to thinking, wouldn't it be great? if you could buy a spiritual thermometer and you could put that thermometer next to your heart and it would tell you what your spiritual temperature is. I thought that that would be just the coolest thing because I don't know whether you know this or not, but in the scriptures, the Bible says there are only three spiritual temperatures your heart is running right now, okay? Number one, in Luke 24, 32, Jesus talked about hearts that are cold. And that may be where some of you are right now. You may say, just being honest, you may say, you know, that's where my heart is. I wish I could say I was on fire for God and I was really close to the Lord and I'm hitting on all eight cylinders. Just not true. My heart is cold. Then in Revelation 3.16, Jesus talked about hearts that were lukewarm. There's this cold heart where there's no fire at all. Then there's this lukewarm heart where maybe there was a fire at one time, but it's kind of gone out. But maybe the embers are just a little bit warm. You'd say, yeah, that's kind of where I am. I wouldn't say I'm just dead cold, but I've got to be honest. I, I'm, I'm just kind of barely lukewarm. I know I'm not where I ought to be. And, and then in Luke 24, uh, 32, Jesus talked about hearts that were burning. I, I call them hearts that are running hot. And God wants our hearts running hot for him all the time. And, you know, you, if you think about it, why wouldn't you? Now, the good news is this. There is a thermometer and there is a thermostat that can both register your spiritual temperature and regulate your spiritual temperature. And that thermometer and that thermostat is worship. Because I'm gonna challenge you with a thought. Whether or not you worship God at all, and if you do, how you worship God is an infallible, unfailing measure of your spiritual temperature. How you worship God in the last 20 minutes ought to tell you a lot about really where your heart is right now. And so if you're one of those folks and you would say to me, you know, I wanna raise my spiritual temperature. I don't wanna be cold. I don't wanna be lukewarm. I want to be hot. The place to start is with worship. And there is a beautiful song it's called a psalm, but it was a song back in the day. There is a beautiful song that tells us exactly how to worship God and to do it in such a way that it keeps our hearts hot. And if you've brought a copy of God's Word or you want to look on your phone or iPad, whatever you use, we're in Psalm 100, the book of Psalms 100. If you know where the book of Psalms is, easy to find, about maybe almost halfway through your Bible, and we're in Psalm one hundred. Now, what I'm going to share with you today applies both to your private worship when you get alone with God, your individual worship when you're by yourself, and also your public corporate worship. Because if our hearts are running hot, and I wanna tell you something. If anybody's heart ought to run hot, it ought to be mine. I'll be the first one to step up and say, how can I expect your heart to be hot for God if my heart is not hot for God? I told the Lord this morning, I said, Lord, every day, not just because I'm a pastor, but because I'm a pastor. Lord, I want my heart to run hot for you every single day. And if they are going to do that, if my heart's going to do it and your heart's going to do it, here is how we will do it Here's how we will know that we're doing it and this is what we will do if our hearts indeed are running hot. Okay, we're in Psalm 100. He tells us five, I'll be real quick now, these are brief. Five things that we ought to do privately, individually, corporately, publicly on a daily basis if our hearts are going to run hot for God. All right, number one, we should gleefully, and I use that word on purpose, we should gleefully worship God. The Lord. We should gleefully worship the Lord. Now, the psalmist sets the tone for worship in the very first two verses. We're going to read them right now. Listen to what he says. He says, "Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful songs." Now, this entire psalm is about worship. Now, if you don't think worship is important to God, let me just kind of kind of clue you in on something. If you go back to the first 10 commandments, God said, when God gave the 10 commandments, he basically said to the human race, if you'll just keep 10, not 20, not 30, not 40, just keep 10, you'll be good to go. We'll be on great terms. You'll be good with me. I'll be good with you. If you go back and read the first 10 commandments of the 10 commandments, the first four all deal with worship, all of them. Before God gets to anything about our horizontal life, he says, let's take care of the vertical first. And all the first four of these commandments deal with worship. No book in the Bible talks more about worship than the book of Psalms. And no Psalm talks more about worship than this Psalm. Now, let me just stop. When I talk about worship today, I want you to understand when he talks about worship, the psalmist, he's not thinking about worship the way most of us think about worship. He's not talking about worship the way most of us talk about worship because listen to what he says. He said, you should shout for joy to the Lord. Now that word shout literally means to make a sound that splits the ear. Now let me tell you what I don't think he was saying. No, I don't think he was literally saying that when you come together, you ought to scream or you ought to you know, yell out loud or anything like that. What he was saying was, yes, our worship ought to be filled with energy. It ought to be filled with enthusiasm. It ought to be filled with excitement. It ought to be expressive. It ought to be emotional. As a matter of fact, let me make a statement to you right now. If worship is boring, it's not worship. If worship is boring, it's not worship. That's an oxymoron. Now you say, well, I've been in some boring worship services. Well, I have too. But they weren't worship. I, I finally realized. I, I thought they were, but they really weren't, because if it was worship really is worship, it cannot be boring. I've been in a few that were. I read the I was read, reading a story the other day about a 95-year-old woman that decided to go out on a date with a 98-year-old man. And this 95-year-old woman actually had to you know, live with her daughter. And so she had not been out on a date in many, many years, and so she goes out on the date and she comes back. And uh, the mother, the daughter met her at the door and he said, well, mother, how was your day? She said, well, I had to slap him three times. And she looked at him, her and she said, did he try to get funny with you? She said, no, I thought he was dead. Now, <laughs> frankly, I've been in worship services. I really haven't. I've thought, this is just dead. And, and I don't get it. And, and let me just say this. You know, you talk about running hot. That's what I was doing last Monday night about, Midnight, I was running hot. My temperature would have been 116. I mean, I was hot. Because I don't mind telling you, and, and, and I'll just, I'm gonna be honest, when I go to see my beloved Georgia Bulldogs play football, and some of you have been with me, you know, I get excited. I, I get emotional, I, I get expressive. Some of you have been with me during the game, so you, I mean, I'm, you, can, you can testify to this. When Georgia scores a touchdown, if I'm at the game and Georgia scores a touchdown, People around me part like the Red Sea. I mean, I'm not i not—I'm—I'm I'm, I'm being serious. I start shaking shoulders. I slap backs. I high five. I get strangers' faces. I start shouting. And I've done that, and I was doing it at the game the other night, and I thought to myself, how much more energy should we have in worship? How much more enthusiasm should we know, knowing that we worship the God of the universe? Now, hear me again. I am not saying we ought to act like a bunch of fanatics. On the other hand, it is much easier to cool down a fanatic than it is to heat up a corpse. And there really is something I believe so often that is missing in worship. And, and I thought about it. I thought, why, why is that true? Let me just give you my theory and you can, you can in your heart decide if I'm right or wrong. I don't know why, but I think what happens is when we walk into a, a worship service, we start for some reason getting real conscious of people who are standing around us and people who are sitting behind us and people who are sitting in front of us. And I think sometimes we start, we, we, we get afraid. It, it, well, what if we raise our hand? What will they think about us? Or what if we clap? What, what will they think about me? Or what if I sing a little too loud? What will they think? I mean, what, what will they do? So I wanna give you a suggestion When you come to another worship service, why don't you try this one time? Instead of thinking about what other people are thinking about your worship, why don't you start thinking about what God thinks about your worship? Because ultimately, he's the only one that matters. I mean, his his opinion is the only one that counts. And and by the way, while I'm in the neighborhood, and, and I did this several weeks ago, while I'm in the neighborhood, so just buckle your seatbelt on this one. We ought to be so excited about what we're coming to. We're coming to worship the God of the universe. We ought to be so excited about coming together and worshiping our God together. You ready? We ought to get here early and not drag in late. Now, if that makes you mad, you come up and apologize and I will forgive you. But if you really are where you ought to be with the God that you worship, you ought to be here early, not get here late. We ought to gleefully worship the Lord. That's step one. Step two, we should gladly serve the Lord. Gleefully worship the Lord, gladly serve the Lord. Listen again to verse two. He says, worship the Lord with gladness, come before him with joyful songs. Now, the word there for worship literally translated means to serve it actually means to work. Work for the Lord with gladness. Now I know what some of you are saying right now. So wait a minute, we'll time out. I thought we were talking about worship. Now you're telling me all to serve the Lord. I thought we were talking about worship. Hey, let me give you a thought. you ready? Service is an act of worship. Service is an act of worship. As a matter of fact, if your heart is running hot in your worship of God, you'll want to serve God. It will lead to service. You think about this. We're in here right now, worshiping God in this service because of the people who are outside here worshiping God by their service. These fantastic volunteers out there, it was 18 degrees when I got up this morning, 18 degrees. I mean, it was, I mean, I'm just telling you, it was cold. And we got these fantastic volunteers out here. They, they park cars and they direct traffic. That's part of their worship. We, we, you know, our, our first impression people who greet you when you walk in. They stand at the information desk. They hand out worship guides. They give you a smile and a warm handshake. That's part of their worship. All of our next gen volunteers who are down there taking care of our babies, teaching our children, working with our teenagers. They are serving God by worshiping God by their service. But here's what I love about it. He says we are to serve the Lord with gladness. Now let me just be honest. One of the ways that you can tell that you're running hot for God, one of the ways that you can tell that your spiritual temperature is what it ought to be is this. The closer you get to God, the more you wanna serve God and the happier you are to serve God because when you start seeing serving not as work but as worship, Then you'll start seeing serving, not as a duty, but as a delight. I'll be honest. I don't understand anybody who says, now I want to worship God, but I don't want to serve God. I want to come together and worship God with our people, but I don't want to serve our people in my worship. They go together. We gleefully worship the Lord. We gladly serve the Lord. Then he says, we genuinely experience the Lord. That's the third step. We should genuinely experience the Lord. Now, what the psalmist does, and and, and I'm telling you, this is such this is almost a Ph.D. thesis in worship. What the psalmist does is he tells us what the real purpose of worship is. Let me just stop and ask you a question: What is the end goal of why you came here today? I mean, what's what's the bottom line? What's the end goal? Of worshiping God. And I'm just being honest. So you just be honest with yourself. Did you come just to check this off your to-do list? Did you come just because, well, if I didn't come, I would have felt guilty? Or, 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 you know, did you come just to maybe put on a show for other people? Well, the psalmist says, here's the real reason you should be here. And this is the real reason we should privately and publicly and individually and corporately worship God. Here's the real reason. Listen to him. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. In other words, here's what the psalmist says. The number one purpose of worshiping God is to get to know God better, to get closer to God, to get more of you in God and more of God in you. By the way, the Hebrew word there for know, the Hebrew word there doesn't really mean to know intellectually, it means to know by experience. He's not talking here about a head knowledge, knowing about God, he's talking about a heart knowledge to really know God. The way to worship God correctly is to know God personally and to know this God You've got to know the God who is Lord. He says, know that the Lord, he is God. Now, let me just stop right there. That may sound redundant. You may think, well, it sounds like he's repeating himself. All right, you wanna know that the Lord is God. That sounds redundant. No, it really isn't. Because here's what the psalmist was saying. If you want to worship God correctly, you better make sure you're worshiping the right God. If you wanna worship God correctly, you have gotta make sure you're worshiping the right God because there's only one Lord who is God. And there's only one God who is the Lord. See, we're living in a day when people say, well, it really doesn't matter. You can worship God in this religion. You can worship God in that religion. You can worship God in this faith and you can worship God in that faith. I hate to tell you, worship is not a buffet line where you get to choose which God you worship. There's only one true God. There's not two, there's not three, not four. There's only one true God and only that true God leads to one true worship. Let me give you this thought. You are better off worshiping the true God even if you do it poorly than you are in worshiping the wrong God even if you do it magnificently. The real key to worship is not just how you worship, it is who you worship. That's why spending time with God is so vital and it's so important. And worshiping God privately is so important to every true believer. Many of you have heard, and more and more people have not, sadly enough, but many of you have heard of of Billy Graham, if you have not. Billy Graham was probably the greatest evangelist in the history of the entire church, probably the greatest evangelist who ever lived. There was a man that was sitting next to Dr. Graham. He was in a dinner in Fort Lauderdale. And, and uh, many years ago, he was sitting, had him sitting next to him. And they were talking. And he said, Dr. Graham, he said, I've always wanted to ask you a question, Dr. Graham. And I've met Dr. Graham several times. Great man. He said, sure, what is it? He said, you know, you've been all over the world. And, and you've done so many things. And you've met so many people. And you've accomplished so many goals. He said, i just like to know. Of all the things you've ever done in your entire ministry, what have you enjoyed the most? Now, now let me stop. Billy Graham, beginning with Harry Truman, Billy Graham was a spiritual advisor to every single president up and through until and through Barack Obama. He was a spiritual advisor to every single president. In his day, he met every head of state of every important country in the world. For many, many years, when Gallup took their poll, who is the most admired man in the United States? He would either come in first or second, year after year after year after year. In one sitting, I've been to the place where this happened. He was in South Korea and became the first man in the history of this planet to preach to one million people people. I saw it. I've been where he did. It was this gigantic field. He preached to a million people at one time. So think about all this man did. So he asked Dr. Graham, so of all the things you've ever done, what did you enjoy the most? This man said he was blown away when Dr. Graham said this. Beyond a doubt, it has been my personal fellowship with the Lord to be able to talk with him, to hear from him, and to have his guidance and his presence in my life has been my greatest joy. Think about that. That guy's been in the Oval Office. He's been in Buckingham Palace. He has preached to more people than any other person who has ever lived. He has traveled the world. He is still known by his face to billions of people. And he said, yet, the one thing I've enjoyed more than anything else is my private life. Worship of God, just getting alone and worshiping the Lord. Sir Isaac Newton, known as the father of science, one of the greatest scientists who ever lived, Isaac Newton said this. He said, I can take my telescope and I can look millions of miles into space, but I can go away to my room and I can get nearer to God in heaven than I can when assisted by all the telescopes on earth. Now, let me tell you why this is important. Let me tell you why it's so important that you not only come to church to worship, but you actually bring the worship with you, that you actually have your own time of worship. What I'm about to tell you is a chain reaction. I've seen it happen in my life time and time and time and time again. The closer we get to God, the more we experience God. The more we experience God the better we know God. The better we know God, the greater we love God. The greater we love God, the quicker we obey God. The quicker we obey God, the happier we will be in God. And the happier we are in God, the hotter we will be for God. And there is no greater way to be refueled, re-energized, revitalize and to run hot than to genuinely experience the Lord. This morning in my just my quiet time, I was telling somebody a while ago, just this morning in my quiet time, just trying to apply this message, I wanna tell you, God is so real to me. Jesus is so real to me. It it was just unbelievable just to have that time. And I said, Lord, this really is the sweetest time of my life when it's just you and it's me and it's nobody else. It's just us. And I'm genuinely experiencing the Lord. That's the third step to running hot. Here's the fourth step. You gratefully thank the Lord. You gratefully thank the Lord. Now we're gonna get into the nuts and bolts of how to really get into the presence of God. I have people ask me all the time, how do you really get into the presence of God? And how do you really know you're in the presence of God? Because if you're like me, and I'm gonna be honest, aren't there times in your life when you feel God is that close? And then aren't there times in your life you feel like God is a billion miles away? I, I, that's me. So how do you really know without a shadow of a doubt, I know I'm in the presence of God. Because all I've talked about up to this point, all I've done is get us into the entrance. We're not even in the presence yet. We're just kind of at the entrance. Because before you get to God, the psalmist said, you got to go through the gate and then you've got to get into the court. So he says this in verse four, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Now, That wouldn't have meant a lot to you if you just read that on your own in the 21st century. But you go back when the Psalmist wrote that, you would have thought, oh, I know what he's talking about. He's talking about a king. And he's talking about a palace. Because before you could get into the presence of the king, first of all, you had to go through a gate. And then once you went through the gate, you had to get into a court. Now, what he's saying here is this, He says, before you can get into the presence of God, you gotta go through a gate. And the key to that gate is thanksgiving. The key to that gate is gratitude. Let me just stop right here. If there's one thing that ought to be easy for us to do, living in the country that we live in, if there's one thing that ought to be easy for us to do, it is to be thankful every single day. I want you to listen to what I'm gonna tell you. Listen to this. The average American will eat more food today than most of the world will eat in a week. We will get into an air conditioned or as it were a heated car when billions of people don't even own a car. We'll sleep in rooms that are heated in the summer and cooled, uh, heated in the the winter and cooled in the summer while most of the world is either sweating it out or shivering it out. If you woke up this morning with more health than sickness, you are more blessed than the one million people around the world that will not make it through life this week. If you've never experienced the dangers of battle or the loneliness of imprisonment or the suffering of torture, are oh, the hunger, pangs, the starvation. You are better off than 500 million people in the world right now. If, if, you, if you came to this worship service today, you walked in here today, you weren't afraid of being harassed, arrested, tortured, or killed. You're better off than 3 billion people in the world today. If you've got food in your refrigerator, if you've got clothes on your back, if you've got a roof over your head and you've got a place to sleep, you are richer than 75% of all the world. If you've got any money in the bank, if you've got any money in your pocket, if you've even got some spare change in your pocket right now, you are in the top 8% of the richest people in the world. If you can read one paragraph in a book, If you can sign your name, you are better off than 757 million people in the world who can't read or write. My brothers and my sisters, we have tons to be thankful for. Unbelievable amounts to be thankful for. And every day we should enter into his gates with thanksgiving. How could you even think about entering into the presence of God without thanking God in his presence? Thanksgiving is the music that brightens the face of God. It is the spark that warms the heart of God. It is the love that kisses the hand of God. Every day we ought to be thankful. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving. I made it a habit a long, long time ago. I do this when I get up in the morning. I do two things, first of all. I thank the Lord. You can do it one of two ways. You can, you know, thank God, it's morning. I thank the morning, there's a God, either way but we ought to be thankful. I do it every day. I get up right off the bat. Lord, thank you. Thank you for a good night's rest. Thank you for letting me see another day in. Thank you for a wife that's sleeping next to me that loves me. Thank you for my kids. Thank you for my grandkids. Thank you for my health. Thank you for my strength. Thank you for, I just start thinking. And then I just enter into this last step, which is we should greatly praise the Lord. Greatly praise the Lord. Now, With thanksgiving, get get into the gates. But now, you really wanna get into the court, you really wanna get at his feet, he says, you do it with praise. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. Now, let me tell you why this is such a big deal. And I'm guilty of what I'm about to tell you just like the rest of us in this room. Too often, and I do it myself, okay? Too often, you know when we come to God, When we want something. When our back's against the wall. When the heat is on. You can't pay your bill. You need this. You need that. That's when we come to God. That's about the only time we do. Now let me stop. I want you to think about something. Have you ever known anybody and the only time they ever call you is when they want something? You ever know anybody like that? I I do. I'm thinking of Two people right now. And the only, seriously, I'm being honest. The only time I got a text yesterday from a guy hadn't heard from in five years. Five years. He texted me. Did he text me to say, how you doing? Nope. Did he text me to say, what a great friend I am? Nope. Did he text me to say his heart was broken over the tragedy that happened last Monday? No. He wanted something. Five years. We've all known people like that. You know, it's just so irritating. Now, I want you to understand, God wants us to bring our knees before him. Okay, He's, he's a big God. But before we ask him for anything, we ought to thank him for what he's already done for us. And we ought to praise him for who he is. By the way, the Hebrew word for praise is the word halal, and we get the word hallelujah from that. It means to be excited with great joy. Now, what I'm about to do, just hang with me, I'm about to turn worship on its ear. I'm about hopefully to change a lot of what you folks think about worship and how you think about worship. Because the last part of verse four literally means, says, give thanks to him and bless his name. Give thanks to him and bless his name. Listen, if you don't hear anything else I've said to you today, I want you to hear this next statement. It is the most important thing I'm gonna say in this message. The primary purpose of our worship is not so God will bless us, but so we will bless him. The most important, the primary purpose of our worship is not that God will bless us. It is that we will bless him. So why are we to worship God? Why are we to praise God? Why are we to thank God? And why are we to do it with enthusiasm and do it with excitement? And why should we make it a point in our life to do it privately as well as do it publicly? Here's why. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. The psalmist says, you know what? He loves us with an everlasting love that will never quit. His love is unending and universal. He is faithful in all times and all places and never fails to keep his promises. That's why every day we ought to begin our day by worshiping God. There's nothing that throws fuel on the fire of your heart and keep your heart running hot for God like worshiping God. So I, I wanna make this practical. I wanna make this real practical. Make it easy. If you're gonna do what you need to do in carrying out the second part of refueling, you need a certain place You need a certain period, that is a certain time, and you need a certain process to worship God privately. I'm going to help you. This is going to be so quick and so easy. It doesn't have to be long. You say I'm so busy. Okay, take five minutes. Everybody's got five minutes. Take five, and you'll find it'll grow to ten or fifteen or whatever. But just you know, take five or ten or fifteen minutes. And here's what I'm going to tell you exactly how I do it. It's real easy. I first enter into his gates with thanksgiving and his course with praise. So I start out, I just thank the Lord and I just praise the Lord. I'll, I'll go to a book of Psalms and I'll, I'll just read praise verses or whatever. And then, remember last week, I open up God's word and I'll read from God and I hear from God. And then I just simply lay my request before God and ask God to hear me. That's it. You see, that's it? That's it. Not hard. I have, I have a place. I've got a time. And I've got a process. I, 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 I won't talk about this today, but I actually journal. I, I'm a big believer in journaling. And I, I, you know, I have a spiritual journal. You don't have to do that. I'm just simply saying, at least do these steps. Begin your day by thanking God and praising God. Then move from thanking God and praising God to reading God's word and letting God speak to you. Then take some time in prayer and just start simply talking to God. If you're a morning person, do it in the morning. I'm a morning person. If you're a night owl, do it at night. I've already told you why you need to do it. You just need to decide when you're going to do it and where you're going to do it. Now, we even want you to worship with your family. We even want you to do that. So as you leave today out in our lobby at our refuel station, we have a family worship guide. You can pick one up on your way out. We have, you'll go out to the lobby of our campuses. There's a refueling station, okay? You can go and pick one of these up. If you're a parent, pick it up. If you're a grandparent, pick it up. Or you can use this and adapt it. If you say, I'm an empty nester, that's okay. You can take this and adapt it because we believe you ought to worship together individually. We believe you ought to worship together as a family. We believe we ought to worship together corporately. Now... I'm gonna say three quick things, tell you a story, we're gonna be done. But I'm gonna take what we've already talked about today, I'm gonna kinda really kinda encapsulate it, I'm gonna kinda summarize it. And what I hope, what I'm about to share with you will change forever your attitude attitude toward coming into any worship service whatsoever. So I'm gonna give you three thoughts, I'm gonna take my time, you might wanna jot these down. Because if if you will take to heart what we've said today, you won't ever come to a worship service again no matter where you go. You will never walk into a worship service the same ever again if you'll just take these things to heart. All right, now think about it. Number one, you do not come to church to worship. You bring your worship to church. You do not come to church to worship. You bring your worship to church. Matter of fact, I'm gonna challenge you. If you didn't worship God before you came here, you weren't ready to worship God when you got here which is why for some of you, your worship is flat. It is boring. It's uninspiring. You don't get into the music. You don't get into the singing. And it has nothing to do with style. It really is irrelevant. Because in just a moment, let me tell you something. We're gonna do, as we close this service in a moment, we're gonna show you a quick video and we're gonna do a song. I, I, I heard it, I got chill buffs today listening to it. We're gonna do a short little video and do a little song. And let me tell you something. If this doesn't light your fire, your wood is totally wet. Can't happen. All right? So, number one, you do not come to church to worship, you bring your worship to church. Number two, you don't leave your worship at church, you leave the church to worship. Too many people do that. They say, okay, my worship is over. No, 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 your worship just gets started when you walk out of here. And then number three, private worship always precedes public worship and private worship always leads to public worship. We should gather weekly to worship God together, but we should take time daily to worship God individually. So here's my little story. I love it, it's about a little boy And he went to kindergarten for his very first day. It was the very first day at school ever. So he goes to kindergarten his first day and he came home and he gets off the bus and his mom's so anxious, you know, wants to know how his day went. So he got off the bus and he ran into his mother's arms and his mother hugged him and she said, well, how did you like school? And the little boy looked at her and he said, well, mom, it was okay, but it's not something you want to do every day you know what? If you wanna stay refueled and re-energized and recharged and you wanna run hot for God, you should worship and you must worship and you'll want to worship every single day. And the God who sent his son to die for you and raised him from the dead so that we could worship him deserves nothing less let's pray together